the latest Fifth Step podcast. Today I'll be talking to Fifth Step CEO Darren Ray about the cost-cutting challenge. Um, now, as all our listeners are probably aware, cutting costs isn't uh, something that's uh, new or unique in today's business environment. The question is, do businesses need to work harder or do they need to work smarter? Um, you know, how do they look to increase the efficiency and productivity of each member of staff? So, Darren, have you got any thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely, Chris. There's lots of organisations can do. And um, you know, we've got you know, three or four things that we'll talk about today um, specifically. But one of the first things, and I think this is always a best starting point, is business process improvement start. Uh, this is, again, far from being a new idea. But in fact, BP, uh, BPI has been around since probably... You know, the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, it goes that far back in terms of looking at a process, looking at how you can improve it. It is a form of continual improvement approach when done properly. So making sure that you're looking at your business processes. Now, organisations make a number of mistakes when they, when they do this. Firstly, they think it's a one and done. Okay, It's not one and done. It is a continuous improvement. Now, how often you go back and you revisit these processes and you look at how you can improve them again will depend on the organisation and the process. But, you know, perhaps an annual review is necessary. In most of the industries, at least that FISTEP um, uh, works with, you know, you, don't, you certainly don't need to be going back uh, to them, you know, once a quarter or uh, once every six months. But there may be industries that need to do that or there may be processes that are so important you need to do that. The second mistake that organisations will very often make is that they bite off far more than they can chew. Now, that makes it really painful for the people involved in the process and the organisation as a whole. So rather than making it a painful process and trying to carve out a too big a process to deal with all in one chunk, actually chunk it down. Make it bite-sized, make it something where the organisation can see the benefits of the business process improvement um, as it goes along. And... Um, so you can see the end of the light, uh, you know, the end of the tunnel, the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I suppose I can see where you're coming from there because, you know, we've got all sorts of things going on, like, you know, cliff, cliff edge Brexit or things, you know, things like that. People think, right, well, we need to have some kind of big bang. But, you know, that sort of change could be quite unset unsettling and, uh, well, it's still the third amount of fear in large organisations, you know, or small organisations. Absolutely. I mean, uh, business process improvement is uh, very much something that organisations are probably looking at as part of their Brexit process mm -hmm. as well. Um, you know, not to cross over into Brexit too much, but yeah. you're right, business process improvement you know, covers all of those bases. So what kind of, you know, approaches can, you know, can be applied to avoid these, type, uh, these types of pitfalls? Um, well, certainly um, chunking things down when it comes to business process improvement, but I think the uh, another area where organisations um, get stuck or have got stuck or certainly have uh, increased um, cost base at the moment, is in terms of uh, legacy systems. And there's a term that I use for this, and it's called legacy system drag. Now, legacy systems um, cause drag in all kinds of different ways. But one of those ways is that um, they have multiple systems, organisations have multiple systems to do the same job. This very often means that they have different people who use different systems that do the same job, or they have to cross-train uh, people in multiple different systems, all very inefficient. Mm. Sometimes they have the real terrible situation where they have people uh, keying or re-keying information between different systems, just to keep those two systems up to date. Well, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I see where you're coming from. I, mean, I was at a conference last week, was, in fact, several conferences, you know, Tuesday to Thursday, three separate insurance conferences based in you know, EC3 in London. And a lot of the talk there was about reducing uh, uh, cost, uh, well, introducing new cost efficiencies, expense ratios, for example, in the, you know, the, the Lloyds of London yeah. uh, insurance market are at like 40%. Whereas you know in other markets like the, the, the so-called London companies market, thirty percent, and around other parts of the world down at twenty-six and twenty-seven percent, mm. and they're saying, you know, what they're trying to do is, is you know, find new ways of introducing cost and efficiency. In fact, the new director of performance at the Lawyers of London, uh, he mentioned that the way forward is through a continuing uh, through a continuous improvement approach. So I think that's that ties into what you're saying. Oh, absolutely, it does. Well, I mean, Chris, as you know. Um, and hopefully, as our listeners recall, you know we've spoken many times about the benefits of continuous improvement approach, and that continuous improvement ensures that it's not one and done. It's something that you're going to come back and you're going to revisit. You're not looking to boil the ocean in one go, or indeed, um, you know, make one giant leap. You're recognising the fact that it's going to take a number of um, iterations to actually obtain anywhere near uh, a state of perfection, and even state of perfection may be an over-exaggeration or an overstatement for many organisations. So looking at legacy system drag um, is definitely one of those areas where organisations should be looking to make improvements. And another aspect of that, or another uh, way of expressing that, is the impact it has on digital transformation as well. So legacy systems are you know, rather poor at uh, dealing with new technologies and being able to communicate with new, uh, you know, the, the new technologies and being able to talk between one another. So those kind of things can really have a, a massive impact. Now, for digital transformation, the the benefits of some organisations may not immediately think of digital transformation as introducing higher productivity or higher efficiency gains. But in most of the digital transformation programmes that I've been involved in, um, you know, you, there's probably three or four uh, object, objectives for those programmes that okay. are common that talk straight through to uh, efficiency. You know, things like um, improvement of straight through processing. You know, that uh, removal of double key. You know, which seems crazy these days. New channel en enablement. You know, the ability for customers or third parties, including brokers in the you know financial services area, Chris, um, to be able to. Um, use systems directly or even have their systems into, um, integrated in that way. You know, that, uh, it's a massive process uh, and, and, and efficiency improvement. Um, improving data collection and accuracy, if I can say it. Um, you know, those kinds of things are massive these days because you can't have data-led decisions without the ability to have um, high-quality uh, data available when you need it. Mm. Um, you know, it's also about improving, you know, process automation. I mean, I mean uh, actually, I was, funny enough, I was uh, one of the last speakers at these conferences. He was talking about the dark, uh, the dark net, and mm -hmm. he was saying how um, a lot of, believe it or not, a lot of uh, criminal organisations and you know, drug cartels and all sorts of uh, nefarious activities, but they're, they're actually automating a lot of their. Um, so when they're stealing credit card details mm -hmm. and then selling that on the dark net, they're automating those. Using processes that were based on machine learning and AI techniques and things like that, but that could be adopted, you know, 
you know, obviously for legal purposes in, 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 in the world outside of the dark net. <laughs> Absolutely. You know? Well, the one thing about organised crime is, um, you know, the hints in the name, they are quite organised and, uh, you know, another word for modern organisation is um, automation, right? So but the fascinating thing, though, is that a lot of these people uh, on the dark net are also incredibly focused on, uh, on customer improvement. They really... They really believe in providing a superior level of service that you, you, you don't actually get in, in the so-called real sort of online world. The real economy, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, I guess that's, um, you know, when, when you're differentiating yourself between, you know, one data set that's, um, you know, um, 10 million names and another data set that's, you know, 10.1 million names, actually, if you're getting better service uh, from one or, from one than another, then, you know, it's a highly competitive area, I guess is what I'm saying. So, you know, customer service becomes that differentiator. So, yeah, I can definitely see that being the case. So, you know, in, in, in addition to um, enabling digital uh, transformation, in the legacy systems can be expensive to maintain, can't they? Uh, vendors charge a premium to support systems. So what do you need to do to, you know, work, what, no, weave your way in, you know, through that sort of tapestry of that change? Um, really, it's, um, you know, uh, seizing the, you know, seizing the day, you know, carpe diem and all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, that really is uh, grasping the nettle and all those other kind of acronyms there. see you're a grammar school boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, not quite. Um, but... Doing all those kinds of things um, to actually get the process underway. Many organisations shy away from making these legacy system upgrades or um, you know, purging them, um, their environment of some of these, uh, you know, these long-standing issues just simply because they see them as very complex and very difficult to overcome. But with the right kind of help and support, you know, and Fist Step's there to help and support any organisation that needs help in this area, but with the right kind of help and support, whether that be internal or from you know, someone like Fist Step, you can actually achieve that and achieve the, the savings as well and um, create the opportunity for your business to take advantage of other aspects of digital transformation as well, all into the into the mix. One of the questions that came up from last last week's conference when I was there, well, there was there was a COO panel was talking about operational issues in, in, in the, the insurance yep. market. One of the questions that came up was that do COOs or CIOs need to sit on the board? That is it. Would that be a progressive way in helping to achieve transformation, or if not sitting on the board, like having a direct report into that? Would you, would you foresee that being beneficial? Yeah, and, um, and we do see that uh, occurring, and the instances of that occurring seem to um, you know, ebb and flow, seems to be a little bit of a fashion, um, one way or the other. Um, I think that having the CIO, you know, and the COO, um, obviously they'll be reporting to the board at the very least, but having uh, that kind of representation on the board I think is vital. I think boards these days are no longer just looking for um, governance issues to be addressed and resolved and that kind of advice and oversight from their board. Um, they're looking for far more knowledge about things like um, information technology, digital transformation, cyber security, information security, data privacy. All of those things form a very crucial part of a modern board. I believe that still goes under-recognised by many organisations though today mm. uh, and I think many of those um, suffer or have downstream issues because they're not able to get the support or don't you know some people don't feel they can get the support for a new initiative that falls into one of those camps. But those initiatives that fall into those camps of course require 
a lot of expertise and that's obviously you know, you know that can't always be managed in house and you know that's where government people like this step come in isn't it yeah absolutely people like this step but also you know non-exec uh, directors are able to influence um you know those kind of initiatives too and increasingly you're seeing uh, you know, non-exec directors, um, again, that's something that FIFSTEP could uh, assist with as well, but you're seeing that capability being uh, provided or that, that influence being provided. Um, so there, there is, a, well, we've talked before about you know, a concept um, called inventing your future, haven't we? So, you know, what's, in, what's involved in that? How, how can one invent one's future? <laughs> well, there's lots of different ways of looking at this, but really this is a you know, snazzy title for talking about innovation teams. Innovation teams, I think, are one of the most underutilised and under-recognised aspects of modern business, and I think they really ought to be considered a business-as-usual activity and part of business, as opposed to the, the way that they're generally regarded is, you know, organisations like Apple and Google, Google and Facebook and all those kinds of organisations are well known for having R&D and innovation teams and things like that. But if you talk to the average organisation, whether it be a small, medium or large organisation, they probably don't have nearly as much innovation input or collaborative innovation as they should do. And I think it's vital that they do. And I think so for a number of different reasons um, that all tie into the innovation um, and efficiency and productivity areas. Um, one thing that may come as a little bit of a surprise is that organisations that have innovation teams actually become more productive, not necessarily because they're coming up with new innovations, but actually that um, collegial working environment, collaborative working environment, actually um, helps foster um, an environment of um, uh, closer working activity, you know, bonding. Now, that um, scales to a certain degree. When you get very large organisations, of course, you may have dedicated teams or indeed departments of people who are actually looking to innovate in different areas. But certainly in you know, mid-size and um, certainly small companies, um, you're definitely going to see benefits um, like that. So, uh, you know, uh, where's the first port of call when you're thinking about starting a, or establishing an, an innovation team? Um, it's actually biting the bullet and getting started with it. Actually establishing a team doesn't need to be a dedicated team, but actually starting that process and um, you know, get the team working together, establish um, some parameters for, uh, for working together, and start brain, brainstorming some, um, some ideas. The, the key, some of the key benefits uh, around innovation teams is actually having a pipeline, an ability, a process, if you like, for actually dealing with ideas and input from other parts of the business. You know, if someone comes up with a really good idea in an organisation that doesn't have an innovation process, they may mention it to their boss or perhaps to a, um, you know, a colleague. Um, if they think it's a good idea or a bad idea, they may push that forward or they may not, depending on that. But that's as far as the vetting goes. Mm. With an innovation team, they've got a far better process for understanding the, you know, the strategic direction of the organisation, the strategic goals of the organisation. And actually, they're able to judge whether an idea is a good one on a far broader and better criteria than you know, uh, than a, a working colleague or perhaps, the, you know, the person's boss can on their own. So having that process, established process, recognised process within the organisation to be able to accept ideas in, it's a great productivity um, enhancer, mm -hmm. um, you know, just in that itself. Some people might argue that, in, you know, in these times of tight, tightening budgets and, you know, austerity in the wider economy and, and among businesses, 
the challenge is that you know budget uh, budgets might be stretched and uh, and this this you know with these kind of activities would they require any sort of the initial investment or how have you know, any, you've got any idea how large that investment might be the, the amount of investment is going to vary of course and yes there will be some investment uh, initially it may be investment in time and it may be asking uh, you know individuals to you know stretch uh, beyond a little bit more um, beyond uh, you know their normal day job you know so you're not necessarily creating um, you know, standalone innovation team. This is becoming, you know, uh, extra curricular, uh, cur cur curricular, <laughs> even. Um, you know, so it's becoming an additional part of their role, um, rather than you know setting up a new department. But actually establishing that and getting it running um, will will pay dividends. It's one of those aspects that really does start to pay back. Now, one of the questions to ask. Um, uh, to turn your question on, on its head is, you know, imagine the cost of running an innovation team. Well, turn it around the other way. Imagine the cost of not running one. You know, you're going to be a follower. You're going to be picking up, um, you know, where others are leading. You're going to have to be reactive to your market, whatever that be, whether it be financial services or more broad. Um, you know, you're not going to be inventing your your future. And that means you're going to be whiplashed by the, the competition, you know, trying yeah. to choose a path. Um, all the time. I'm so trying to imagine how that might look if it's a, the opposite of an innovation team. It would be a, a team of luddites, wouldn't it? Because there would be people actively engaged in the organisation to send it back to the past. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> Smashing <laughs> the spinning generation. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's always, you know, maybe, who knows? Maybe that, that's, that's where some people will be, get, will be going. Oh, well, I'm sure there are. That's, what, that's, that's probably the, the feeling among some people in organisations. I suppose it's bringing them on board. Because there, there are going to be people out there who are naturally, you know, very traditionally minded, aren't they? Who... Absolutely. Now, I, I think one of the aspects around an innovation team, a good innovation team, is to be able to embrace uh, a very disparate set of values and mindsets. You know, the only thing that you have to ask is that people are open-minded enough to be able to consider other ideas. The most challenging aspect of setting up an innovation team is, you know, um, ensuring that that ideas don't get put down before they get started because that's the um, it's uh, something that's called corporate antibodies um, a, friend right. of mine, uh, a friend of mine person I um, who has a, their own podcast uh, Phil McKinney um, very great innovator um, coined the term um, corporate antibodies um, when whenever anything new comes around um, you know the the business can sometimes react in terms of um, oh, we don't want to do that, we've tried it before, this is very different to how we do things here. Those kinds of phrases are examples of corporate antibodies going to work and trying to keep the status quo. And actually what you want to be able to do is acknowledge those terms and those phrases um, whilst continuing on your journey and being able to demonstrate the benefits of the changes. That's that why I'm assuming what you're talking about, you, you need all that cross-functional teams to incorporate people like the HR function as well, don't you, to, you know, to get their input to, so when people are... Uh, averse to change uh, rather than adopt you know, one of the traditional methods <laughs> such yeah. departments employ which is uh, to make sure they don't more work for the company is <laughs> 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 that to get them on board to actually help people change change people's minds and culture yeah look be diverse in setting up an innovation team be diverse I, you know some of the best ideas um, that I've um, heard voiced at innovation meetings have come from some really unexpected unexpected areas mm. you know some areas where you know, people really didn't think um, that ideas would be coming from, or some, uh, in some instances, some people that 
Um, they didn't think that good ideas would be coming from. Um, sometimes some really smart ideas can come from those individuals. Or what can sometimes happen is that organisations or individuals within those organisations uh, during those innovation meetings, they'll actually come up with ideas where people can springboard off. You know, so you know it's not actually A as was proposed, but actually it's B, which is just a derivation of uh, of A. And that kind of feeding off of one another and those um, creative and collective approaches um, to innovation is really important. And that's where you get the magnification effect of a good innovation team, not just something that you know a, a meeting of like-minded people, which um, you know, if you're not careful, then you can just get groupthink, and you want to try and avoid that. You want yeah. to try and come up with ideas that, to use that overused phrase, are outside of the box. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I think you know, so hopefully some of the you know topics that we've debated in this uh, this podcast will help uh, some of our listeners to you know have a better idea of how they how, they, how their business can work smarter and how they can work with you know, people across the business. Know, to overcome you know, the, the cost-cutting challenges we described at the beginning of the podcast. Um, if you'd like any more information on the, the thought leadership and insights that Fifth Step provides, uh, we've got a, a regular blogging section of the uh, Fifth, Step, Fifth Step website, um, and you can uh, uh, read a, a lot of blogs that are written by various people within the organisation. Uh, and of course, we use all, you know, all sorts of social media channels, LinkedIn, so you can get that information there or of course just reach out to Darren directly yeah sure you can find me on LinkedIn um, if you search for Darren Ray you'll be able to find me there um, or of course um, you can uh, uh, email info at fifthstep.com if you'd like to uh, get in contact with us by email um, likewise if you've got any comments or any suggestions for how uh, we can improve the podcast, or indeed you've got any questions or topics you'd like us to cover within the podcast. More than open to answering those kind of questions and addressing some of those points um, in a future podcast. Okay. Well, on that note, I'd like to say thanks to our listeners for tuning in to this latest podcast, and thank you for, uh, to Darren for sharing those insights. Yep, that's great. Thanks, Chris.